to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, we are going to be uh, kind of starting where we left off last week with just that idea that Brad, that Brad brought up, um, um, standing before the throne, that picture that we ended with last week. Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9, a a crowd, a multitude that no one could count, and thinking through, if we're not careful, our children become projects instead of a one-day peer. And Brad mentioned uh, some of his his own children that have some different handicaps on this earth. But what would that be like to see them? Like he said, a couple of them can't talk. Going through life here on earth and can't talk, and then to get to see them one day possibly singing in praise and glory. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so your children, they're not projects for you to try to perfect and try to present to God as, look how, how good I've done. That's all about ourselves sometimes. That's the idolatry of self. And uh, we are supposed to try and strive towards raising them that way. But um, just thinking through, what will that be like when they're a peer level standing in heaven with tears rolling down their face because finally they're getting to see this, this Jesus that you have pointed them to over and over and over and over. Um, that will be glorious. That will be wonderful. There, there's no need for a thank you. There's no need for a, oh, you, you did so much. Because it won't matter. It will be just him, just all of us consumed in him. And so what a beautiful thing. And so uh, that's where we left off last week. Um, and just looking at that, um, this two weeks, first of all, just bringing out last week, the number one rule of life, um, what, what matters most. And uh, God kind of clarified that for us in Deuteronomy. But um, as we look at this this week, from last week's idea of, of, of the number one rule, this week we're going to look at the practical application of, so what does that look like as far as um, how do we have a practical, faithful approach in, in having families that keep this as the number one rule? Um, and you may have grew up in homes, grew up in homes where, where maybe church and real good moral behavior was it, but like Monday through Saturday, Christ wasn't the center of the home. And uh, Christ, it wasn't correction in the form of, yes, stop hitting your brother, but let's also talk about the heart that where you feel okay of treating someone like that. that that's a big deal. It's a heart issue. That, that there's, there's selfishness going on. There's um, all kinds of anger going on in your heart and, and going beyond the behavior of stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that to, to let me address the heart. Let, let's take some time. It's easy to take four seconds. Stop it. Do you want a spanking? I'm counting to three. That, that's easy and it may work because you're bigger. It's hard to take 10 minutes to talk about the heart that was prompted to act that way. And so we want to we look at that. And then pointing all of that back to not just, just uh, hey, you're a really sinful little kid, to the gospel of Jesus, to bring them to the good news. Jesus not only will forgive you for that, he, he can help change you to where that anger is less and less. And when you do fall into it, he will still forgive you. That's just you know, gospel language to them repeatedly. 
Um, so on that last week, I'm looking at the, the main thing, and then, then this week, looking at a workable plan for the number one rule. As the boys were younger, we, we, we wanted to have a plan. So I was going through seminary. At the same time I was starting at Southern Seminary, we had Sankey, and then Owen, and then Jackson. So I was reading all those books. I purposely uh, listened to some guys that were much older, and they said, hey, a lot of guys get to seminary, and they try to get you know uh, 96 hours or 120 hours of seminary in like a four-year period. And then you, they get out into the church, and they're like, uh, and here comes a family with problems or marriage with problems or just, you know, the gospel is not clear because they just stuff so much into four years. And so I kind of purposely said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take two or three classes at a time. And I took like 10 years to do that. Well, um, in that, you get to really begin to apply stuff in your own life and hopefully apply things in your churches. And so um, at our former church, we, we started applying some of um, this, uh, what I call a family equipping model. And then, but we were doing it in our home. And so when the kids are little, uh, if, if those of you who have little kids um, or those who, who have older kids now, you remember those days where changing, and I have this slide, just changing their clothes, washing clothes, laying out clothes. Like that's just enough. For, like you're already exhausted just from that if you remember those days. Um, reading with them, playing with them, teaching them, uh, picking up toys, picking up clutter, picking up clothes, um, food prep and cooking, meal cleanup, dishes, uh, some of the guys I, I, I'm going to have lunch with, uh, they're in that phase where they got the little bottles, if you remember the little bottles and stuff, and the, all the little things that, that go along with that of having to wash those over and over and over. And so uh, just the time that that takes. Bath times, brushing teeth, bedtime stories, sick kids up all night, all kids, kind of they pass it on through the whole family, um, doctor visits, doctor bills, those fun insurance calls that everyone loves, uh, ER visits, ER bills, uh, medications, uh, and you're supposed to even go by the, the, the directions on the medication. You can't just do it how you want. And so all of this is, is uh, I believe, part of God's payback. Now, obviously, Jesus died for our, our sins on the cross, but part of this is God's enjoyable payback, just watching us uh, raise kids and, and deal with some of the things that, that are kids. So it's, it's just a little added payback. Um, we wanted to have a plan in those early years, and, and it seemed to be working, um, and then one thing in parenting you have to learn is you think that you've kind of got it leveled off and like, hey, I, th I think we've applied some things. We've had some good talks with them. We're doing these things and it kind of levels off and then something happens and it all changes. So you've got to readjust. And so it's ongoing and, and they change. And then the way that you're parenting them, the way that you're correcting them, it all changes at different stages. Um, and then uh, now we, you get to the teen years. And so um, all of those Difficulties seem like just just all of those difficulties, all those things I just listed out, all that stuff you do when they're little bitty or under 10 or 11 years old, that's so time-consuming because they're all right there in the middle. It's really, really busy. It's time-consuming as far as it's, it's tough physically. It seemed like a warm, comfy pillow compared to once they hit the teen years. So that's why you may be wondering why I have our, our real well-known um, theologian, Mike Tyson, picture up there. Mike Tyson's famous uh, uh, statement that applies to raising teens is everyone has a plan until you step in there and you get hit in the mouth. 
And so that's what happens. I think when you have a plan, you're going through things, and then the teen years hit, and, and then you get hit in the mouth a few times. Not, not physically, but just like, I uh, wasn't expecting that. Didn't see that one coming. Uh, we're not ready for this one. Can we have a timeout? And so um, the teen years are also some of the most enjoyable because you're seeing some of the fruit and the things that, that, that God has done in their hearts. And you may see, you got to be careful not to just harp on them on the, hey, stop doing that. Hey, don't you see what you're doing? Don't you see that? Hey, look what you're doing. And so you're, you're going to the heart level, but also you need to be careful that you're not just talking to them when it's just the bad things. You, you've got to be careful to make sure you're saying, hey, listen, I really see you loving on your brother. That little thing that you did, that was really great. What you did with your sister there, man, that, that's, that's what we want to see. That's a beautiful aspect of, of God's goodness to you. And so calling out those things at the same time. Um, and so just remember that. And so... Um, uh, we, we, we wanted to learn. Uh, you got to also remember as kids change, as they get to those higher um, ages, um, that they are also kind of just as bewildered and just as new to this being a teen and having autonomous thoughts and their own ideas and thoughts as you are. So, so they're kind of freaked out and, and bewildered, and you're kind of freaked out and bewildered. They, they are and you are, and so you're trying to learn this together. And so I would tell some of you teens, just be patient with that as you have to hit those teen years. Um, and parents, be, be patient. So maybe if you, were, if you were kind of more of a, a strict guidelines all the time, or whether you were on the other side and you were kind of the laissez-faire, uh, just, you know, like they'll kind of, they'll, they'll just kind of find out themselves free range, either one, the teen years are going to make you adjust to that, okay? And so uh, teen years will, will cause some, some friction there. Um, and no one tells you that beforehand, but it is some of the most enjoyable times. Um, it's easy you don't think so at the time, but that, that two-year-old or that eight-year-old even, that tantrum when they're throwing the fit on the floor or throwing a fit or screaming back at you, um, that really is easy compared to three girls showing up in bathing suits at your door and ringing the doorbell. Hey, Mr. Sankey, can, can the boys come swimming? And, and so it's, who knew? It, it's illegal to pull a gun on them. We, you know, Jamie said, at least she says it's illegal to do that. But when, when you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, you're like, I... I want to grab all three of them and move to Montana to some far remote area, you know, and just that, that's what you want to do. And, and, but you go, hey, you know, what, what have we instilled in them? What have we instilled in them? And then uh, it's easy when they're, when, they're, when they're taking up time with diapers or, or like I said, the clean up the room and you're wore out and you're physically tired or they get sick. Man, it, it's a lot more different and it's a lot more uh, scary and a lot more uh, not easy when um, things are coming at them that, that you had just, you didn't know how quickly that was going to come, come upon them. You thought maybe at 22, they'll have to face this type of situation. Or maybe something really damaging comes and you're wondering, how are they going to handle that? And so you've got to be present with them. You've got to be in their life. You've got to be speaking the gospel. And hopefully some of the identity that you've instilled in them, um, even though the culture and, and the things around them and the world around them and, and media around them is saying, this is what makes a man, this is what makes a woman, You've got to keep walking with them and showing them that, that don't listen to those lies. Don't listen, don't listen to those lies. This is what integrity is. This is what faithfulness. And they're going. To, and you, you should have an expectation because of sinful hearts that they're going to fail some. And so, are you coming to them with grace on the back end? That doesn't mean no consequences, but but that that you should be coming to them with grace. And so, thinking through what that looks like. Um, um, it's we still don't have those times when you know my kids just um, come to me as I'm in the house somewhere where they're like, Father, I was just in my room 
cleaning and finishing up cleaning my room, and I was really contemplating all the corrections and all the goals that we've been talking about over the last few months, and I've memorized those to heart, and now instead of going with my friends tonight or, or watching TV, I'm, I'm going to go and type out a plan, and I'm going to start applying that. Like That usually just doesn't happen, you know, uh, that, that kid, uh, maybe, maybe you've got that kid, but that's just not what we run into every week, and so it's just constant, and I think what parents want, I think that we want it to be easy. We want it to level off some things, and like we've taught them these things, and we just want it to be easy, and that's not sanctification. That's not marriage. Marriage isn't just always easy, and so raising children, it's not always easy. And and also remember that your parenting, your parenting has idolatry in it also. Sometimes we're coming with wrong motives, with with, um, selfish motives. Sometimes we want to look spiritual. We want to look good. Um, As they get older, I had a couple of pastors talk about one of their sons, and and one of these guys, he was kind of a smaller guy, and his son just ended up like 6'3", and he was like 5'8", and his son was uh, 16 and literally just stepped to his face one day, like, and he's like, you know, they're kind of getting into it, and he was like, hey, you better do this, and his son's like, hey, what are you going to do about it? And like really bumped his chest, and and he was like, I was about to tear into this, my 6'3", 16-year-olds, and so he was like, what am I doing? That's just ridiculous, bumping into my 16-year-old son, you know, and so those things will happen. So we've got our sin happening in the middle of their sin, and granted, like with my boys, when I've told you guys when I go and try to sit down and like, hey, hey, today when I did that, maybe I got a little upset, and I, was, my, I shouldn't have said those things to you guys, um, uh, and I, I, was, I was acting in anger there, so will you guys forget, and, and instead of like, oh, hey, Dad, man, we were acting crazy for, you know, you, you corrected us 20 times and we didn't listen, or 10 times. They don't usually say that, so one of them is usually like, yeah, you're really, you, you shouldn't have talked to us that way, and you're like, okay, it was 10 for you, 10 for you, 10 for you, one for me, but they don't think of it that way, right? And so, but that, that's our sin in the middle of their sinful mess also. So um, this goal in discipling, as, as we talked about, is, is having them adopt and understand and then live out that, that God is the center of their life, the number one most important uh, rule. There are some, um, I said last week very clearly, that I want everyone that comes into sojourn to understand that, that we do want to acknowledge that parents in the Bible are the ones responsible to be the primary disciple makers. It's not the private school, it's not the Sunday school class, it's not the youth pastor, um, it's not the church um, it, it's not the school they go to. It's not the homeschool co-op. You are the primary disciple maker. Now, all those things are supplemental, but you will stand before God having to give an account of were you pointing your kids to Christ or were you pointing them to something you didn't even realize was a family idol, success, um, sports, um, academics, um, riches, finances, um, all those things. Uh, our family looking good, our family looking so morally good, all those little things can become the number one thing. And Christ will let us know that our hearts, hopefully we're responding now and being aware of that. That's part of knowing ourselves. And so being able to take that time and say, man, are, are we sure that as we're doing these things, that we're pointing them to Christ and not even this list of moral Christianity and not even just that, that he's a living person. That, that not just a, a list of that where Christianity becomes an equation for them instead of a living person that you want them to learn to trust and love and enjoy. And so the Bible says all those things are available in him. So let's go to that Deuteronomy um, and look at the, the verse there. I'm going to pray first. 
Um, and then we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, where we, uh, the main part of the section that we read last week. Father, we are thankful that you give us your word, you give us your commands, you give us um, grace and mercy, you give us uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to help in this process, because this is a weighty one for everyone. I, I can't I'm just even remember how many dads, once they have a one-year-old or a, a new baby, and they could be incredibly successful, and all of a sudden they feel like, I don't know what I'm doing at all, Lord. And so we need you in this area. We feel the weight of it. It is a soul. It is a soul created in your image. And so there are beautiful, beautiful, glorious things in each human, but there are also depraved hearts at the same time. And we're raising lost children. We're telling them to obey rules that if their heart hasn't been made new, they can't even obey on their own. And so, Father, we ask ask you for wisdom on how to lovingly, graciously, patiently raise families and generation after generation that would be following you and captivated in you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we ask for you to teach us now as we go into this. In your name we pray, amen. So we're, I'm gonna read Deuteronomy 6 and we're gonna look at um, this idea of teach them diligently. We're gonna break that down into a workable plan. So we said last week, number one rule, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then notice what he goes into right after that, teach them diligently. So in verse four in chapter six, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So, so that's something that we've talked about, Ezekiel 36. That it's, I'm going to put it on your heart. Um, my, my word, my commands are going to be written on your heart. I'm going to send my spirit to enable you to obey that. Um, verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so that section there, now we're thinking, taking this idea of the the main idea is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the, the big banner. And now we're saying, what does it mean to teach them diligently that? How do we take love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how do we teach them diligently in that manner? We're, now we're going to look at the practicals of that today. So that's our, our key thought. Um, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, talking about them as you're just going throughout the day, um, talking about them as you're hanging out in your living room, as you're in your home, as you're making dinner together. Uh, he, he says, as you go throughout your day, while you're running errands, while you're traveling, while you're out shopping, while you're um, talking about things that going on in life, as you get to the end of the day, pausing as you lie down uh, and are about to go to sleep to remind them of the Lord's goodness. So there's this, this picture of here's the way that we break down teaching them diligently. As you go throughout your day, as they're waking in the morning, as you're putting them to bed at night, all of these different aspects, um, it's different ways that we can do that. Um, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontless. So it's talking about this centrality. So getting creative in that thinking through what are ways that that would fit in our family's rhythm to still make the Lord um, the number one priority. 
And so, again, that, that, that's different when you've got three or four kids, and they're all little from eight, nine years old, down, you know, eight and, and five and three and one, and they're all in the living room on the carpet, or you're sitting at the table together, and you can do little Bible stories and do that. That's different from when, when they're older, and they have, their, their life is busy. They've got responsibilities, jobs, um, maybe sports or academics, things that they're going to. You're traveling, and so how, how do we make that a priority through those situations? Um, so you got to get creative with that. Um, we're going to look at some of those practical ways on teaching them diligently. Um, and this, this is something that through the centuries, uh, we had to do this project. I had like two or three, I had about four or five classes on this, but we had to put together a project like what would you do in your own home? What would you do to help a church and help parents in the home on Monday through Saturday? So you're going to see kind of this practical outworking of that. Um, one of the, the key problems of this was the dropout factor. Before we get into this workable plan, I want to bring up this, this thing called the dropout factor. The dropout factor was, and there's different numbers, and there were some high numbers at first, high percentages. It started, they were saying 83%, 86% of kids in a certain area of about 25, 30 years. 86% were leaving the church at 18 and never returning. The majority of them never returning. So 86%. And there's been numbers as low as like 65, but it was a good number of, of kids that 65%, 75%, 85% leaving the church at 18 and not coming back. So you've seen that. You probably know, you, you think back about the people around your life. They may have went to youth group with you. They may have, may have been in church with you, and then they graduate, and you're here, and they're just out doing that. And they, if you talk to them, like, it's been 10, 12 years since they've been in church, 20 years for some people, and, and, and they, they really believe they're going to heaven. And, you know, they got a good deal with God, and they pray that sinner's prayer at Falls Creek. And so they're, they're good. They just like, they just, you know, I mean, Sundays are for, you know, just whatever they want to do. And so this idea of this, um, this dropout factor, and, and as, as people began to study that, they said, hey, we need to fix that. And so the three ways that they come up with that is they, they begin to assess what's the problem with the church right now. Well, one of the big things, and I'd say mainstream, let's think mainstream church, was that it had become very entertainment-oriented. And so a lot of pragmatics play in some big denominations, so I'm not bashing any. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention, uh, Assembly of God, Presbyterian, some of those, they would, they would uh, even Lutherans, um, a little pragmatic, and so numbers become the goal. How do we get more kids in? How do we get more people in here? So what do you do if your role is to get more people there? You, people would get creative on uh, the bait and switch thing. What would it take to get more kids here? And so in that happening, what happened in the church growth model, and so for church growth uh, movement that happened for 30 or 40 years, then you had inside this, this idea of pragmatics going, hey, how do we get more? How do we get more? How do we get more? Let's have all these events. Let's, let's, let's dumb it down a little bit. No one likes the Bible anymore. Let's make it real fun, real entertaining, lots of uh, entertainment stuff, real fun. And, and, and hey, kids can't handle anything more than like five to six to seven minutes of teaching, especially the Bible. They don't understand it. So we're going to do a three-minute lesson in the middle of an hour of whatever. Now, at school, they can study, you know, huge words like and I'm not bashing evolution, I'm saying I don't believe in evolution, but like the word evolution, they can completely understand all that, right? And, and even if they disagree with it, so why can't they understand sanctification? Same amount of letters. They can understand sanctification. They can understand justification. We just stop teaching it, right? But we can teach all these other things that could be academically uh, with math and sciences. And so churches kind of bought into this idea is kids don't want it and they're not going to come back if it's not just fun and joy-filled and lots of candy, and so uh, to meet that problem, 
of luring them in, the bait and switch, the entertainment, the gaming, the prizes, the free giveaways, um, very emotionally charged stories, um, worship that was just built only on feelings. Uh, worship uh, and, and churches began to do a couple of things. Let's create a separate area for kids. So youth don't want to be in there with their parents, uh, especially if it's a traditional service, not a cool band. Let's create this youth area with a youth band and all the lights and all the cool stuff because no one wants to be with parents. And for the children's area, let's separate and have this children's area. And so parents would literally pull up to these beautiful places, drop the young kids off at this area, drive further over to the other side of the building, drop the youth off of here, and then the parents would go park. Parents are going to the adult worship, and now the kids are separated from them the whole time. And so the idea was that will keep people going. Parents love it because it's kind of like, hey, it's drop-off. And that's what two, two versions of the drop-off factor was. They were just dropping their kids off and letting other people do the spiritual investing, and then also the drop-out factor that happened later. And so they kind of played on that. Um, the three models that, that, that people began to adjust uh, one wasn't even out yet, but the family-based model um, was one where it took that mainstream idea and said, hey, you know what we need to do? We do need parents more involved. So when we have all this, keep all the events, keep all the stuff, all the same structures, lots of spinning plates, let's add, let's ask eight parents to come and sit in the room with them. We got 100 kids coming, let's eight, ask four or six parents to come and sit in the room. And so it's kind of, they're, we're bringing them in. Or we're doing this cool event, let's add four or six more parents to it. And so the family-based model kind of stayed the same and said, let's just add a few parents. So the family-integrated model said, okay, so all of that, that's the problem. We've got to get back to the Bible. And so and some, some would even go as far as, you know, they'd start, you know, like, well, hey, I don't see in the scriptures a verse that tells us to have a youth pastor. So having a youth pastor is unbiblical. Having a children's ministry is unbiblical. Having youth events is unbiblical. And, and what happens when youth get together? They're around their peers, and so that's a bad influence. Well, um, since we are, the strength of the family integrated was we are the ones who are supposed to be influencing our kids, not our peers, then we're going to do away with everything that had peer influence, especially that was separated. So the um, so what that looked like in the family integrated. So you got family based over on this side. Let's just add parents. Family integrated went on the other side and said, "Hey, anything that mainstream churches have, kill it all. Close it. No, no children's ministry. None of those things." So so the difficulty in that. So now you, if you had a church that had um, classes, they said no more kids classes, no more youth classes for some of them. Small groups. Some, uh, you may have been around where places where they said, well, small groups, we want our two-year-old, our 10-year-old, our 15-year-old, our 18-year-old in the small group with us because the family is integrated together. We would never allow our kids, or, you know, our six teenagers, to go and have their own little lesson time or Bible study because they need to sit in the, the uh, small group with us. Now, all of my, I've been a small group pastor at two different churches beforehand, so we've walked people through marriages where Six months of us working behind the scenes, and a guy come out to his group and said, um, you guys didn't know it, we've been in counseling for this long, one place, and then we've also been meeting with the pastors for six months. Uh, I've been cheating on my wife for um, the last year and a half. She's willing to stay in it with me. Our pastors kept the gospel. And she, you know, she's breaking down, he's breaking down. The group's like, oh my gosh, your life looked incredible. We've walked couples through that. That's not great for a 13-year-old to sit in. So it's, it takes some time there. And so 13, 15-year-old parents, four different couples. I've had this a lot, four different couples. We don't know what to do. Our, our daughter, she just, we, we try to do everything right. And our daughter just, she's doing this. And there, there's this boy or there, she got on her phone. And, and like, 
that's weird when all those kids are sitting in that room. So it needs to be a safe place where there's trust and there's a place where people can be authentic and honest. And so the family integrated says, we, we don't do that. We, we want our 17-year-old and 14-year-old and 12-year-old son in that group. And so um, the, there are those things like that, that that I would disagree with in that. And they would also say no youth group, too dangerous. Kids are, are around peers, and that's the problem. And no youth-specific or kid-specific classes. That's separating families like the mainstream. No youth kid events. Uh, that's that We're catering, catering to this entertaining, fun-based culture. Um, no kids above two years old that that could be in the, that could be in the nursery. So we were at a church when it used to have like um, the 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 you know nursery up to two, and then like two to two to five or three to five, and then we had like the you know, the six to ten year old. And he this guy said, "We're canceling all those classes. You're not a good spiritual parent. You're not a good gospel parent if you're if you can't control your um, eighteen month old. Your eighteen month old needs to be able to sit still and quiet in the pew." So you know, there's books about that. There's there's strengths of some of those books, and we were and we had and we had like we were having kid after kid, and we were, it was just miserable. And so I was like, hey, I, I, we may be going to hell then because ours are not going to sit there real quietly, and it was just it was horrible. And so, but, uh, and ours were tame compared to some of the other ones. But so you see how how far some people go with that, okay? Um, so I believe it is sin for parents to to not engage in being the primary disciple makers of their children. Because Scripture commands that and holds that over us as an expectation. It's sin to refuse that biblical mandate. Um, it is not sin for a church to have youth or kid ministries. It's not sin for a youth for a church to have youth and kid workers or youth and kid ministers or volunteers, to have youth and kid events, to have youth and kid classes. The Bible does not tell you, you shall not do that. Now, so sometimes what we do in the church culture especially, something happens and we, we far react way over here, a knee-jerk reaction, and we go way too far. And so um, in the middle of that, then some people start studying after, after about 10 years of these two categories you had, so family-based over here and family-integrated, and then the family equipping was saying, hey, hold it. We've always said it's not wrong or sinful to have some of those things. That can't be central, though. It's got to be the parents learning to disciple. So we want, first of all, just to acknowledge... Hey, at this church, we're going to tell people, it is your role, parents. You're the number one disciple. That should be a weighty thing. It's also a glorious thing. You're getting to show them the greatest thing ever. And so we want to acknowledge you, but we want to train and equip you. And then we want to hold, help, hold you accountable through equipping classes and things like that and give you a workable plan for that. So that's where the family um, equipping model come out of this. So some of my professors, uh, TPJ, uh, uh, Paul Jones, one of my professors um, at, at Southern there, at, at, he goes to so Sojourn Church there in Louisville, one of the, the elders there at Sojourn. So he was one of the, the guys who helped form some of the family equipping model. Um, several guys in, in even Harbor Network and Sojourn Community Churches there, um, they, they were part of the ones who helped with this family equipping going, we want to have people that are homeschooling, people that are private schooling, and people that are public schooling all coming together and being in the church together. And so, so it's not a case where if, if you happen to homeschool, then you can only be in a family integrated model. Or if you're, if you're mainstream, then you'll be, do family-based. And so, no, they're like, no, we should be able to, a community of people together. And we don't believe it's sin to have those things, but we want to be careful to where it's not just entertainment-based. Now, could we have a whole event 
with some youth where we invited, you know, 10, 20 kids, and we had a fun time with, you know, whatever kind of games and whatever kind of food and stuff, and then just a time to just really talk to them. And that, that thing may be just really just for a gathering thing, but that's not twice a week, and that's all we're doing, right? Uh, because we want to have guys learning to disciple them, and we want to have young guys seeing a little bit older guy discipling them so that they would go, that's what I want to do. When I get to college, I, I want to learn how to disciple guys. When I, for girls, when I get to college, I want to be involved in discipling. And so that's what we want to do. So the family equipping prepares that, and it wants to bring that out. Um, so now let's go into the, just the, the let's go into these, um, I've got a slide that has the uh, family equipping model. So this is the Sojourn family equipping model. Um, and so I, you see up on top there, it says family intentional plan and then a, a family equipping map, okay? We're going to talk about the family intentional plan first. And so the first one there is just this idea of, and let me, let me explain the difference between plan and map. So plan being more of the day-to-day and the, the, the day-to-day, Monday through Saturday, you're just all through the, the year, different rhythms of life. The, the map would be some big milestones, more event-oriented, where the, the plan is just a daily. You can choose different things for that. So kind of think through this. Um, we're all good consumers in the church, so you can kind of pick the ones that you, you want to apply here. So first of all, just family devotions. So um, the first thing, just are you going to have family devotions? So it's not just go to church on um, Sunday. And not just even either a, a Sunday school class or um, a, a small group where the kids go and have some, but like family devotions in the house. Um, so um, that could start with, if you're the spiritual leader, going, hey, family devotion, first of all, um, Ephesians 5, that, that you're, you're washing the wife in the word. And so that, that probably doesn't need to be like every afternoon you go, hey, honey, um, I, I love you, you know, I love you and everything. Um, but I noticed a couple of things. I went to the scriptures today, and so I wanted to just wash you in the word right now. Like that wouldn't be fun to walk into every day. Some of you could be doing that, and you may get slapped. But um, but just going like, hey, I think here's something we both could work at. We're, we're, we're one flesh now. Um, leave, cleave, become one flesh. The beauty of one flesh, and not just the fun of all those other things, but like one flesh working together. We're one team. These kids need to see us united. Here's something that's big on our family. So part of that is just praying with your wife, just just taking the time to pray with your wife. Now, I, you know, had got radically saved. Meet Jamie. We get married. Um, she begged me for so long. I was like, okay, okay, Lord, I see. So we get married, and then, and so I'm like, I'd have these incredible um, quiet times, and then just be thinking like, oh, so t- this afternoon when Jamie gets home, man, I can't wait to share this. And so um, she's really teachable on everything. She's really humble on all these things. And I would have this exciting thing, maybe even a, a song from, you know, David Crowder or something. And then this, God showed me this whole thing. And so we'd sit down, like, hey, babe, I, I want, and she's, you know, she's, we're starting to get dinner ready, and she's kind of looking at me like, all right, what, what are you doing? And so just, you know, like, hey, oh, you need me to sit down and take some time out here? And so I would, and you're so enthused and so excited, and your heart's burning with passion about this thing. And hey, babe, so this scripture in Leviticus, oh my gosh. Because I'm thinking, oh, this is what a spiritual leader does. And, and, and literally she's looking at, just has this weird look on her face, like, okay, what, okay. And you know me, like I'm rambling. So she just needs the point, like, hey, maybe if you'll just tell me, what was the main point you have? And so you know, she's listening for 10, 12, 15 minutes, and, and she didn't get enthused. She didn't get all excited. Like I'd been crying over this earlier in the day, and now she's, she's just like, okay, 
do you want to get back to making supper? And so what I'm saying about that is you got to think through. Also, I learned this. So for her, um, uh, let's say in the mornings, I learned this early on in our marriage. Uh, let's put it this way. She not likey human beings in the morning early on. So she does, she's not waking up wanting to talk a lot. And then at night when you go to bed, she can be wide awake, had a Dr. Pepper, you know, just at 9 o'clock. 9.15, you lay down. If her head goes sideways, you got four seconds. Like she can be wide awake talking, watching something, talking to you. Head goes sideways, she's out. And so, like, that's my window. Like, that window's closed. That window at the end of night, that window of the morning. So, got to get creative with that. So, so just praying with your wife, especially when kids get there. Your wife will be so in tune with their hearts and so, so helpful in, in, in bringing out those things. And so, being able to pray and, and show her that this matters. Your voice matters. They matter, and let's pray together. So think, take a couple who, in the last year, 52 weeks, haven't prayed together one time, except, you know, like maybe meals or whatever. And sometimes, if we're honest, we're doing the meal prayer, just like thinking that's kind of a good equation for the, like, oh, we're supposed to do this. You kids need to learn this. are supposed to do it. And it's not really heartfelt talking to God. It's kind of a repetition thing. Um, and so prayer with a spouse. Um, how many times over, over a year's time? And again, it may be maybe the wife who's coming like, oh God, the Lord showed me this. And the guy is just like, how long is this going to take? I've got a lot that I need to be doing. And so just know that that, that that can be a spiritual struggle there. Doesn't mean you're a horrible family. Doesn't mean your marriage is not going to make it. Doesn't mean you're unspiritual. Just, just take some time to work it. We've struggled for that for years and years. And so we pray mainly now about when, when heavy stuff is going on with the boys. And so um, that, that's, that's one thing. Prayer with the kids, a devotional plan. Bible stories. You may be incorporating Bible stories with your kids. Um, so all of that just under family devotions. I would say you could have four to five family devotions a week. That's, that's a four-minute, five-minute with a little prayer at the end. That's family devotions. It could be reading just three or four verses when kids are little and just making God the centerpiece of that um, and making him the center of the story and then praying through that, talking about, hey, hey, we kind of struggle with this, don't we? We kind of get angry at our brothers and sisters. Mom and dad sometimes get angry. We, we do these things. Have you noticed how our tongue, how we, we say hurtful things? Just talking to them through those devotionals. Four, five, six minutes, those are devotional plans. And so um, those are different devotional um, things that your family could do. I would suggest three, four, five. You could just say, hey, we're going to do it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're going to do it Tuesday and Thursday. Um, then catechisms. Catechisms have been used for years and years. Sojourn, um, I think Sojourn Church also has a, a catechism. It's just it's, it's similar to all these. Luther's smaller catechism and Luther's large catechism. It's just a book and it asks questions. So a catechism is a form of asking questions with, with a, a clear uh, answer to that. And so um, one of the ones that we started using when the boys were a certain age, uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition come out with a new city catechism. And so it's, it's on your phone, there's apps for it, and there's the, on the iPads. And so it not only has the question, so I'll put an example up there. So, I mean, the first one is, who is God or what is God? Uh, pretty good question. But, but what, is, what is sin? What is idolatry? Will God allow our disobedience and idolatry to go unpunished? This is part of part one. This is part of part one. Just some questions. When you click on each one of those, it it opens up and has the answer. So it will have the answer 
And then we'll have over on the side, you can also, it has a song that will go with it. It will have commentary from, you know, from Charles Wesley to um, whoever, just, just all kinds of great um, Montgomery Boyce to Spurgeon, all kinds of guys with some commentary on that for parents to kind of read, just like a paragraph or two. It also has the scripture references. So what is sin? And it'll have, you know, Romans 3 or Romans 6. And so it'll have, you can, you can select that and you can, that, that it's already prepared for you. Hey kids, what is sin? Hey, here's a verse that talks about that. You could use that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You don't have to go do a new question. So we would just use one question for the whole week. And so, and kids loved it. And also have some of them have a, a song with a video playing. So they love because it's an iPad, you know, and the iPad's the more important part. And so those are catechisms. Um, just great question and answer. Like I said, lots of those. Scripture memory is also a way of uh, form, uh, formally training and just memorizing Scripture together as a family. Another big one, now this would be separate than your family devotions that you're doing, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. This one would be like, those are three minutes, five minutes, six minutes. It, the fun part is it turns into eight or 10 or 12 minutes. And it, nothing more uh, can grab your heart when your kids go beyond the four or five minutes and they're talking and talking and asking and asking about God and his greatness. So, so that's the family devotional. The faith talk is a little bit different. It's a purposeful once, we started doing it like twice a week we, with our schedule in seminary. I was having to write these, and so um, we would do a faith talk. Now, this is an example. It's like th- two or three pages long, but this is just a faith talk. You start out with just one main thought for the faith talk with one key verse. Um, and so I did them over, I think I had a project in seminary. Oh, you had to, we had to do the Ten Commandments. Then I had to write 52 faith talks. So I think I've got those somewhere. I can even put them on the website. 52 faith walks for 52 weeks. So this is not a three or four or five minute devotional. This is a little bit more of maybe a 10, 15, 18 minute lesson with, with this main idea. That, that, that you would kind of spend time learning this main idea. Now, you can go on to have an activity game. I'm pitiful at those. I know like two games. Like I, don't, I, I didn't even play like, you know, duck, duck, goose growing up. And so um, uh, like I don't know all those activities and stuff, but you can add these activities to it that, that bring out the point. Um, then the Bible story, have, have a section of scripture and the discussion over that. We always added uh, prayer and then all the submission card stuff. Our boys love that, looking at the global church. And then maybe if you had a song. So like that first one there, God in Christ must be the supreme treasure of our hearts. So here's the Deuteronomy 5. I'm the Lord your God, so you shall have no other gods before me. And so, um, so that's just, that's a faith talk. And again, we, I have lots of resources on those. There's some, there's some people who have now went uh, and wrote out a whole book to give you 52 weeks of faith talks or even 100 faith talks. And so, and you can go, hey, you know what? We've got seven minutes at the end of supper and we're gonna do this. And your seven minutes, I promise you, will turn into 15 or 20 or 25 sometimes. And it's just, it's wonderful. So that's, a, that's separate from family devotion. That's a, kind of a family devotion on steroids, okay? And that's a faith talk, um, uh, God moments. God moments are these things where we come out and it, it, it's like you're driving along and you see something of God's creation. So for Jack and I, on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday nights, we're leaving here. And as we're heading across the, the river over here, um, there's always a beautiful sunset. And so he and I both love sunsets. And our house for years couldn't see sunsets because of this hill and these trees. And so he and I just sometimes we'll talk and it starts us into a conversation right over here that sometimes turns into eight minutes 10, 12, 15 minute talk about God that was based on God's beautiful idea. If you haven't thought about this, God's not six foot tall. And so to think of this God who is as big as he is, not in human form, and he, he said, hey, I just want to do this extra thing. I'm going to splash some clouds up there. 
And then I'm going to allow my son, as it says, the son, to splash colors that they can't even recreate. This beautiful thing from, from our six-foot perspective, our five-foot-seven. He puts these things up here just to make us go, wow, how creative. What is heaven going to be like? And so again, those little God moments that you use, something pops up. You can also do it when we're driving around here and we see depravity. We see brokenness. I see, their, I see them get scared when we're driving down the streets coming to church here, and there's someone in the street. Maybe it's a homeless person. Maybe you know, there's people with mental illness. There's things going on, and our boys will see it, and they will start you know, talking, like, oh, man, Dad, what, what do you think's going on there? I'm like, I don't know. We don't, we don't have to be scared of them. We don't have to be scared of them. Man, we, we can pray for them. Um, though, man, those are some of the things that we see. That, that, that's a fallen world, and that, that's showing them and using that time as a God moment to point them to the Redeemer. And so those are some of the, the easy ones. Um, so thinking through what that looks like in the faith talks, um, going through those to God moments. Now let me go into an individualized spiritual plan. I call these ISPs. Um, so here's, some, here, here's the thing with the individual spiritual plan. This is as they get a little bit older. You may start looking at it as you're learning their personality at 9, 10, 11, 12, especially 12, 13, 14, 15. You're learning more of the way that they're wired, some of those things. It's an intentional, ongoing process. And then we do it child by child. We don't try to apply the same parenting exactly for each child. So it's child by child because they're wired differently. They think differently. They respond differently. Um, it's also stage by stage. We used to go semester by semester, like I said, to get punched in the face. And then it's kind of more like week by week. And sometimes uh, the McCoys may be able to, defend. sometimes just day by day. You know, uh, as you have older children, it's like day by day. We hope Tuesday goes better, you know. And it's not necessarily that your kids are doing something wrong. Sometimes it's stuff that's happening to them. And you just want to check in with them. And just like, how, how are you doing? So semester by semester, day by day, as they progress into the preteen and teen and early adulthood stages of life. Um, it used to be, remember the group therapy, all the kids in the living room and just, hey guys, we love God, right? Yeah, let's sing this song. Hey, let's, let's remember, let's, let's memorize this verse. Now they're older and it's you going to their door and like, hey man. So you can start out with a, how was the day? I know what they're going to say. But like, well, hey, how, how's that thing going? How's this going? I have noticed this. What would you say about that? And so beginning to talk more. And so that individualized spiritual plan, it's taking time to learn their heart tendencies, help them navigate the path of life, which is filled with landmines that will destroy them, and showing them their own patterns of thinking. Help them to understand how they think, guiding them towards Christ and living a life pleasing to him, taking the time to study and help them assess different areas of their whole person. So, hey, man, I'm really thankful you're going to church. You're on the spiritual thing. You seem to be doing this. Hey, relationally, man, I don't see that you're really building any relationships. You kind of isolate off. And so maybe you're just more introverted. That's a beautiful gift. Uh, that's a beautiful gift of God. Uh, but also I want you to think through, let's not be just this person that isolates off and has nothing to do with the people around your life. And so relationally, how are you doing socially? Uh, I see you interact with your friends and sometimes it's not good. You're, you're, are you becoming a good friend? Are you preparing to treat a woman with respect and love and decency? Um, all those type of things. And, and just knowing themselves relationally, uh, mentally, cognitively. Are they having any uh, difficulties? A lot of times uh, we've had couple after couple after couple that their, their kid hit, hit a, a roadblock in their education and they didn't know what was going on. And it takes sometimes two or three or four or five months to diagnose, oh, there's actually a small learning disability that's really setting them back and they feel really dumb and the mom feels like a horrible failure. And it's like, oh, hey, do you know there's this easy thing that could fix this? Here's some resources. And now the kids 
love mom again. And mom loves teaching them again or, or different things that happen. So cognitively, uh, mentally, uh, emotionally, how are they doing on the emotional scale? How are they doing spiritually? How are they doing physically? Um, all those type of things. So just thinking through the whole person. Um, and I'm not making that weird and secular. I'm saying, so notice, notice what we started with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's four different categories that actually cover the whole five that I was talking about. It's not just love the Lord's your mind. That's, that, that's not all it was. It's not just a mind or a thoughts. It's more than that. It includes all those other aspects. Um, so um, the reason I say that it's ongoing is, is you've got to keep these questions coming. So here's some questions just thinking through this. What are they desiring right now? Thinking through what are they desiring? You can do this with younger kids also. Um, what are their hearts kind of captivated or fixated on lately? And then ask, why is it that? Why are they drawn to that? Um, it's not a recipe. This, doing it this way is not a quick fix. It's not quick behavior modification. It's a realization that they are making a lot of their own decisions at those ages. And unless you want to be the parent who's still just limiting and making every decision for them at 15 and 18 and 20, uh, then, then you've got to learn to help them to recognize you, you tend to make this decision. You tend to do this. But what is that? Why is that? Why are you drawn to this type of crowd? Why are you drawn to this type of person? Music. What is it about that music? Instead of just, you, you can just do the thing of, I forbid you to ever listen to that. I don't think that's going to work real well. Uh, but if you do that, I forbid you to listen to that kind of music. Or if you go, you know, we're going to have some parameters on that. But you notice they, they keep downloading these songs. Go get the song. Find out what is it, what's connecting at a heart level with that. What, what, what's the deal? Um, I still love Pearl Jam, Metallica. Uh, Dave Matthews, uh, Jack Johnson. I love all these things still. It doesn't, if your kids listen to some of that, it doesn't mean they're going to be a black tar heroin seller. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but, but find out, hey, what is it? And help, just talk to them about that. Help them think through. Why do you think that that is making a connection with you? Is it just because they're popular and trendy right now? Because that's a really weak thing. But I mean, that, that's still fine if you want to do that. But is there something that, that this theme that comes out? And so I learned over some years, no one was telling me like, hey, Sankey, you're really against uh, injustices. You have just this angst against injustice. And you guys may think, you know, Pearl Jam, Metallica is crazy. That's what was, they were, they have this angst against injustices, social injustices, uh, political injustices, church injustices. They have this angst to get it. Like if, they, if it's fake and it's not about something beautiful, then, then, then we're angry about it. And so there's something in me and I was in a very comfortable, loving, encouraging home. I wasn't like this kid who was beat down all this stuff, but for something, I'm just wired like that. And so that I didn't realize, oh, it's not just the, the sound of it. Like I like the, the message that they're saying. I can't stand when people are being taken advantage of, whether it's races or ethnicities or um, cultural things, church stuff, political. I can't stand that. And so they spoke to those things. So I've been listening to some songs that Sankey and Owen listened to, and guess what? It's different. It's not Metallica. It's a rapper. But that's what this, these two or three guys are all about. They're frustrated with this stuff. And all the stuff that, you know, it's a 22-year-old rapper. So what's he been experiencing for the last 10 years? What's he been seeing? And so, so hey, hey, man, now we got something in common. And something instead of, stop that. I hate that that's ridiculous. Like, hey, man, I understand. But are you listening to the message on the other parts? That's fine if he's talking about well, injustices. But are you hearing the language and all the other stuff? And so why, why that? So just thinking through that, uh, it, I wish um, we could spend more time on this one, but 
what kind of heart temptations do they seem to be facing at this moment, this stage in life? Going deeper than the action, what kind of heart temptation do they seem to be facing at this stage in life? What voices or cultural ideas or images are influencing them most powerfully at this time? Um, What are those influences communicating about life, about one's identity, about relationships, about value, what's significant, what matters most in life? Um, What are the potential idols that we may be feeding them without realizing it? Uh, And then also, um, are they they seeing if if certain um, cultural things and voices are communicating against God? Are they lying about God? And what I mean by that is if songs are saying for little girls, here's what it takes to be loved by a man, this, 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 and this, you can begin to talk to them at appropriate ages. For, for guys, hey, what is this message saying about what it takes to be a real man? A real studly man is this. Like, huh, that must be saying that God must be wrong and lying. God, God can't know what he's talking about because really what some of those are saying is this idea that God doesn't want you to have fun, doesn't want you to enjoy life. He just wants to control you and be a you know, cosmic uh, naysayer on everything. And so like, hey, is that really what we see in life? That's not actually the reality. And so bringing those things out for them to see. So those in, individual spiritual plans are powerful. On the, the faith map, just these, these big things of child dedication, uh, memories and milestones, I'm sorry. Um, child dedication, salvation and baptism, uh, church consistency, uh, individual spiritual plans, which we just covered, um, coming up with a family ID and a family mission statement. So we went through the process of, of going, hey, here's, here's our family core values. Here, here's our family mission statement. Um, our church did this, Sojourn did this the first year that we were going. And so we still have that. I, I bring that out sometimes. go, hey, how are we doing on this? Let's grade ourselves. Here's the thing that we said we valued. It's, a different, it's completely different when it's an eight-year-old going, yeah, yeah, I like that one, Daddy. Yeah, yeah, that one sounds good. And they really don't know the, the, the depth of that. And now as they're older, like, hey, what's the world say about that one? What's your peers say about that? Oh, that, that would be stupid or ridiculous? Hey, well, here's what God's Word says about that. We landed on that, that we want that to be a value of ours. And so bringing those things out, that's family ID and family mission statement. You take your uh, kids on a family a mission trip sometime. And we're hoping to be able to do that as the boys get a couple more years, two or three more years. And then also those, those things of graduation and marriage. So now you've done it. Now they're this peer. We started out talking about Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9. Graduation, you're not finished. You're not done at graduation. And some parents are just like, let, let them figure it out now. No, you're not done. Hopefully, if you've been doing this right with, with truth and grace and mercy, they're still going to come to you for those things. And so, so, so sadly to me, sometimes when kids have been raised in certain types of homes, they're not going to come to their parents to ask for any kind of ideas or counsel and stuff because it was always just like, you're just a failure. You're, you're this, this. You never do, do it good enough. You're never keeping the rules. You were never doing it. And so it's just, man, why would I go back to them and ask them about something uh, bigger in life? So graduation, marriage, you're still not finished. Um, so the things, those are things uh, of maps and, and milestones. And the last thing is there's training. We want to provide just parent equipping trainings about twice a year, um, learning and emphasizing the gospel in correction, not just behavior modification. There's stage of life focused parent meetings of counseling for kids and families, uh, family ID that I mentioned. And so in all that, those are the things that we want to say, hey, that's the family equipping model. That, that's a path, a lot of different things that you can choose from to go, hey, we need to start incorporating those. What would it be like if, if, if 10 families who did zero faith talks last year had 50 this year, 
50 times of, on a Thursday just going, or Wednesday or Tuesday, hey, we're going we're gonna to bring out this lesson. More powerful than the bullet point of what the lesson point is, so our boys wouldn't remember. So 50 lessons, well, hey, the first one was this. The second one, here's the key idea. Third one, here's the key idea. They may get some of those, but, but what's the bigger point? Over a year's time, what you did is you sat God as the center of your living room. The bigger thing that they were learning was as a family, and when I have my own family one day, we want to make God the centerpiece of our home. So it's not about the lesson points. It's not about that, 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 that main bullet point that week. It, it's that we were as a family saying, God, you own this family and you own our living room. You own our time at home. And so, man, if you, if you feel like, man, we haven't been doing those well or we want to start incorporating those, um, then um, all kinds of resources. we got some on the website. But I want to encourage you to think through that. Now, if you're going, man, we feel like failures. I didn't grow up with that. I didn't know what that looks like. You may have, have a slide there just saying, hey, um, with that, there are some things that, you know, you may have conviction that it's, it's your role. We want you to have that conviction. It is your role. We acknowledge you towards that. Um, do you have that conviction? Then do you have a plan of faithfulness in pointing them to his greatness? And then just what's the Holy Spirit pressing upon you at this point? So you may be no children. You may have little babies. You may have young kids. You may have teens. Um, could be empty nesters. And so um, just thinking through that. Um, as we go to the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you. We're going to take some time just to pray through that, have a time of response. And so as I pray, um, I want to give you time to respond to that before Brad comes up and before we go to the Lord's Supper to just think through what, what's the Holy Spirit impressing on me. Again, your family of origin is going to play into this a lot. Um, and sometimes we kind of try to take, here's the good things, so I don't want to do that. Here's the bad things. Um, here, here's a couple of the good things. And so you can use some of those things, but just aware, be aware of your family of origin, um, the, the, the dysfunctions of that, and even some of the strengths of that. And just to come up with your own plan here, of here here's what we believe is convictional, uh, biblical convictions that would lead to the practical outworking of a workable plan. So um, think through that. Um, and if you do have, if, text me if you have some questions or something like, hey, I would love those faith talks. I would love this. I would like to read some more on this family equipping model. We have all those resources available. So I'm going to pray and give you a time to respond as we go to the Lord's Supper. Father, we uh, do thank you for um, just the beautiful picture that you call yourself Father, and that was your idea. Um, you created man in your image with fathers and mothers to show us that beautiful picture of authority and safety and love and care. And we know we, we consider ourselves children of God. And so all of that, showing that you are worthy, showing that you are um, glorious. We thank you that that was your picture that you wanted to present to us and that we have a, a opportunity, Father, in humility to to try to have a path of faithfulness. And so I pray that if there's people here that are working through that conviction of what's number one in life, are there idols that are distracting? Um, is it kids and they're, what they're going through that's distracting? Father, I pray that you would help us to have that as a conviction. We pray that um, you would give us that conviction and that you would give us a workable plan that, that fathers and mothers could pray through. For those who have little bitty kids, babies and little kids, Father, would you allow them to be diligent about working together as one flesh to teach these things diligently? And Father, for those of us who have had older kids, when you feel like that you've tried to do all these things and things pop in from day to day that make you wonder and question, 
if, if it, anything's working or if, if it's all just wasted, are you really working? That you would bring encouragement, you would bring comfort, that you would bring um, just a beautiful hope out of that. We thank you that it's not based upon how good we did or how good our kids are doing, but it's on your grace. It is a gospel of grace and that you're a God of mercy. Would you allow us to have that as the forefront as we worship you? As we partake of the Lord's Supper, would you allow us to take some time to meditate on those things and to think through um, where our hearts are at with that? We may need to spend time, Father, just responding as a family, uh, even after we leave this place to talk, to set down some new um, guidelines, some new um, opportunities of faithfulness. And so I pray that you'd give us guidance on that and wisdom. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we thank you that Christ is the one who not only can bring forgiveness for where we failed and we've all sinned, but also that he can strengthen us through the Spirit and enable us to, to walk in your statutes, to want to obey, to want to repent, to want to walk in repentance and faith. Thank you that the Holy Spirit has that power and we, we worship you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.